Brilliant. Okay, my name is Melanie, if we have not met yet. Um, I'm married to Stuart, and together, nine years ago, we came here to start this beautiful church we call Real Life. Um, You are very welcome here this morning. I've called my message, Never Forget, and I want to share some things this morning that I don't want you to forget, but I also want to remind you of some of your experiences that you might have forgotten about, and I don't want you to forget. I even believe this morning that there will be some things that happen here in this room this morning that God never wants you to forget about. So I will never forget that salvation is powerful, that baptism in water is necessary, and that baptism in the Holy Spirit is essential. I will never forget those things because I embody them. They live in me. They are part of my story. They are part of my song. They're what I walk around with every day, knowing that salvation is powerful, that baptism in water is necessary, and that baptism in the Holy Spirit is essential. I was 20 when I encountered Jesus for myself, and I remember praying a prayer, but I remember that not being the point that I became a Christian, because I remember being somewhere, being led in a prayer, praying all the right words, and walking out not changed. And I remember thinking I'd sat in a few sermons, I'd read bits and pieces about Jesus, and what I'd seen is people who truly met him were radically altered. They were changed forever. You didn't walk away from an encounter with Jesus unaffected. And I was unaffected. I carried on, to be honest, living the life that I'd always lived, offending God at every turn, um, and going to church for a few weeks. And then I remember opening my Bible and reading something in one of the Gospels about a woman who was caught in her sinful life. And she was dragged before Jesus and accused before Jesus. And then he handled her. And he didn't just handle her, he handled everyone who was accusing her. He silenced them and then he dealt with her. And the way he dealt with her just undid me. The way he handled her, the way he looked at her, what he called out of her, what he demanded of her, undid me. And in that moment, I cried out to God and I said, save me, take hold of me. I'm sinful. I have got so many things wrong in my life. Save me. And in that moment, I was changed. You'd never be able to convince me that Jesus is not real because actually in that moment he entered my life and I felt forgiven, I felt free, I felt like I knew who I was to be. Just everything altered for me in that moment. I was filled with the Holy Spirit not long after and he helped secure in me that knowledge that I was saved, that knowledge that the work that Jesus had done in me a few weeks earlier was all done. It was like he sealed it. It was like he said, we're done now. He helped me read my Bible. I remember just devouring my Bible. To be honest, I still devour my Bible. I think it is truly, I read a lot. I think it is truly the best book ever written. And I think if you read it with the Holy Spirit, it, it, it's illuminating, it's, it's incredible. So I, I had a hunger to read my Bible and, and I wanted to be a witness for him. The Holy Spirit in my life made me brave, made me bold with my story, made me live out what I knew to be 
right. I remember when I was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. It was in an evening meeting. Someone came to pray with me. I felt sorry in a way for the person who came to pray for me because on the outside, it probably looked like nothing was going on. But internally, I felt this, I can only describe it as a hush. And a hush is, for me, when there's moments in the Bible where Jesus turns up and the crowd hush, or it's like an awe, it's like a quiet with an awe. It's like a, and so for me, I felt my whole insides just hushed. And I am a noisy person. At home, I talk all the time. So even if there is no one there, Stuart is well used to it now. In the early days, he'd just be like, what, 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 all the time. And I'd be like, oh no, I'm not talking to you. Uh, I talk all the time. I have music. Like My life is noisy. It's got noisier having two small children, but it was noisy all by itself. I felt this hush and quiet that was unexplainable. I also felt this power just come into my life. Nothing visible on the outside was going on. I don't think I was shaking or falling over, nothing. But I felt this hush and then this transaction that felt like I was just being filled with someone or something. I felt I was coming home, being pushed out, being challenged, being at one all at once. I felt like this like incredible amount of stuff going on. On the outside, I probably looked like nothing was going on. The reason I know this is when I opened my eyes from this amazing experience, the person who was praying for me and standing with me had left. They probably thought, oh man, there's not a lot going on here. I'll go and pray for someone who's shaking a bit. Or, and, and I wanted to tell them because they prayed a prayer that really spoke into my heart, but they were gone. So they'll never know that I had an incredible experience with God. I will never forget that moment because for me, everything changed. And then I was baptized in water a couple of months later. So in the space of three months, I was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in water. I was encouraged by my church leader at the time to take my Bible and look up, using a concordance, look up the word baptism and read everything the Bible had to say about it. So I sat at home that night with a notebook, a pencil, and I wrote down everything the Bible had to say about baptism. By the end of that, I was utterly convinced that I should be baptised in water. You see, baptism is an obedience issue. It's not about the water, to be honest. It's not even about your testimony or your... It's about obedience. It's will you do as you are told, That's what baptism's about. And you nail it in the early days so that you spend your whole life doing as you're told. You basically say, I'm going to get this one done now so that the pattern for my life then is I will listen to what Jesus says and I'll do as I'm told. I'm a firm believer that stuff Jesus waits for you to get that one done before the rest of the stuff comes. So if you are sitting there not baptised in water... It's an obedience issue and I want to encourage you to get it done because what comes after it are loads of other things that Jesus will ask of you and demand of you and it's a practice for saying yes. It's a practice in obedience but it also breaks something. It breaks something in your heart that says I'm in charge of myself, I do what I want to do. It breaks that. 
It says, actually, what you say in your word shapes me now. What you say is right, I also say is right. And my legs will follow, my heart will follow, my head will follow. So baptism for me is absolutely essential, baptism in water. It requires obedience, but that is the Christian life. It requires obedience every step of the way. I'm going to read a story from the book of Acts where we're going to look at how powerful salvation is, how is how necessary baptism in water is and how essential baptism in the Spirit is. So if you've got a Bible, turn to it. If you forgot it or your dog ate it or you dropped it in a puddle, I'm going to read it to you. So it's Acts 19, 1 to 7. If you don't own a Bible, which is by far the greatest book you will ever own, and you would like help with choosing one or buying one, we will do that. We will buy, we've, we said it in the youth work, kids work and in church, we will buy millions of Bibles. We will put Bibles in as many people's hands as we can. So if you're sitting there thinking, I don't own my own Bible, I'd love to own my own Bible, come and talk to me at the end. If you want some help with it, we will help get that beautiful book in your hands. If not, you can just turn on your phone and, you know, get one on there. So Acts 19, 1 to 7. While Apollos was, Apollos was at Corinth... Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked him, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. It's a great story. I am currently reading through the book of Acts and just loving it. If you want to know more about Paul and you want to know more about what the ordinary Christian life should look like, you should read the book of Acts. It will blow you away. So Paul is found in the book of Acts. If you want to know his story more, go to it. In simplest forms, Paul is a man who met Jesus and his life turned around. Jesus, um, Paul then meets on one of his journeys with some believers. He asks them if they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they say they haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And you might be sitting there thinking, actually, I feel a little unclear on the Holy Spirit. I feel a little unclear on what his role is in my life today, on whether or not he's even for today. I feel a little bit unclear. And what you read through this story is Paul just clarifying stuff and opening up up for them and helping them experience it. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to clear some stuff up for you this morning. I want to help you in your understanding and then I want to help you experience it. My real hope today is you leave here this morning saying, I met the Holy Spirit. I've had some of my questions answered. I'm ready to go. 
These guys are disciples probably of John, John the Baptist. So they would have responded to a message of repentance. So John went around preparing the way for Jesus. He never said, I'm Jesus. He never said, I'm the Messiah. He never said, I'm the way to salvation. He said, I'm a forerunner. I'm getting you ready. And what he was supposed to be getting disciples ready for was to receive Jesus. These guys had met John, had the baptism of John, and kind of gone along with the the gospel of John. And you don't get saved like that. You don't get saved unless you have heard the gospel of Jesus. You don't get saved because some clever person in your life lays it all out for you. You don't get saved because they live a certain way and they do certain things. You get saved because you've had an encounter with Jesus. So I probably argue that these guys were unlikely to be saved because you don't get saved unless you've got saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. And and I want to underline that because sometimes I think we we hear great stories, we see great preachers, we hear great stories of people's lives and we can think, yeah, I love that, I want that, I want that. And we can forget that it's about an encounter with Jesus. Your story should never be about an impressive Christian that you've met. So there were, in my story, impressive Christians, some really good ones. I could name a few of them because they were outrageously good. A woman called Louise, a woman called Charlotte, who lived authentic Christian lives. That's never how you get saved. That's never how people get saved. It's not because they've met an impressive Christian. You have to meet the Christ. You have to meet the Savior. You have to meet the Messiah. Your story should be about him. And I have loads of players in my story that are minor parts. The hero of my story, the main man in my story is Jesus. And when I tell my story, I major on him because he is the one who blew me away. He is the one who saved my life. He is the one who died on the cross. These guys were disciples of John and they'd gone with the whole repentance stuff, but they'd not got to Jesus. They'd not got to saving faith in Jesus. And we need to make sure that's where people get to. So Paul then clears it up for them. He's not stressed or bothered. He doesn't think, oh no, you're not saved. What am I going to do? He just says, okay, you have followed John. You now need to follow Jesus. You need to be baptized in water and you need to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. So he just clears it up for them and does it there and then. He just says, okay guys, that is where you've come from. Now this is where you're going. And I think for some of you sitting here, you may have had a church past or a church history where it looked like this, a certain way, where you did things through someone else or through something else. I feel like Jesus himself would want to show up today and say, this is how we do it now. You come through me. You get faith in me. You get saved by me. You get freedom in me. You come through Jesus Christ. And for some of you sitting here, for too long it's been going through someone else. A church leader, a friend, a parent, someone else's faith. I feel like for some of you, literally Jesus is going to say, this is about you and me now. What Paul did is he didn't say, oh no, no, you've been following John, now you need to follow Paul. He said, you've been following John, now you need to follow Jesus. And you need to follow Jesus. That has been the defining thing in my life, is I've had impressive Christians all around me. 
I've had some not so impressive ones as well, to be honest. I've been impressive and not so impressive. So I know what that feels like. My story has been about him. My focus is him. The one I listen to, worship, want to obey, want to be like, he's my goal. And when you make him your goal, it means that other people's opinions of you, other people's thoughts about you, the way that other people, all comparison falls to the ground. Because actually I'm all about him. And I'm all about being his disciple, being known as that. I would love to get to the end of my life. And the thing that people know about me is, man, she loved Jesus. She worshipped like no one was watching. She just was all about Jesus. I, I would love that. I'd love it, Stuart, on my tombstone, please. That she just loved her saviour. So Paul made sure they were baptised in water. He made sure they were saved into Jesus. He made sure they were full of the Holy Spirit. It's possible, because Paul asked the question, it's possible to be a believer and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible because Paul asked that question multiple times and he's not a silly man. So it's possible to be a believer and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. I do believe with my whole heart they are two separate experiences that can happen at the same time. So I have seen people saved and filled with the Holy Spirit all at the same time. I've also seen people saved and later filled with the Holy Spirit, moments later filled with the Holy Spirit, weeks later, years later. I've also asked that question many times of people, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I always ask it when people say they're struggling with their Bible. If you are struggling with your Bible, it isn't a Bible issue, it is a Holy Spirit issue. I promise you that. If you find your Bible dry, boring, hard work, slogging at it and labour, that is about the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're not a good reader or that the book hasn't captured you or that other people get it and you don't get it or that you're not intelligent enough. It's a Holy Spirit issue. So if you came to me and said, I'm struggling to read my Bible, I would ask you first, what is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? And I would, I would tackle that and say, actually, I, I think if you read that book full of the Holy Spirit, it's never dry, dull, boring, or hard work. It is a joy. It's a discipline, but it's a complete joy. Paul is, Paul is making sure these guys have got these things nailed. And I, I feel like in the room, God wants to do that this morning. He lays hands on them. There's something lovely if you read through the New Testament about the laying on of hands. There is something that transfers from a believer to someone else when hands are laid on. There is something good about physical touch. There is something good about laying on of hands. So we often lay hands on here. There's something about that encounter with the Holy Spirit that is aided or sped up or something with the laying on of hands and I've been in meetings where I've been experiencing the spirit and someone has laid a hand on and it's like I've gone up a gear and it isn't that there's something incredible about this person it's that there is something about laying on of hands that God loves I think he loves it when we stand together when we touch one another when we transfer what we have in God onto some I think God just loves us being a part of the process so he lays hands on them. They have themselves an encounter with the Holy Spirit and then they speak in tongues and prophesy. Now, it doesn't mean because you're filled with the Holy Spirit you're speaking tongues and prophesy. What it means is something happens. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you know it. 
Something happens. It's an experiential gift. If you say to me, oh, I don't know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and when I was prayed for, nothing happened, I would say you're not. And I know that feels a little harsh, but I think if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, first off, you know it. Second off, something happens. And it doesn't have to be earth-shaking, shattering, you know, it doesn't, but something happens. There's something about God when he shows up that we know we're left changed. And, and I'm, I'll read you some stuff that some people have written a bit later on about what it felt like for them so you can see the variety of it, really. So Paul wants to firm some stuff up. He wants them to know that baptism in water comes after you are saved. So you get saved You meet and encounter Jesus. You are baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit. Or like me, filled with the Holy Spirit, then baptized in water. But you are saved first. You are then filled with the Spirit, baptized in water, baptized in water, filled with the Spirit. This is normal Christian living. And Paul wants to firm it up, but so do we. We want to make sure we've got a church that are full of people that know that they're saved and know it with certainty. We want proper grown-ups here who say, yeah, I'm saved, and yeah, I know how to tell my story. We want to make sure you are baptised in water, and we will keep going on about being baptised in water. Why? Because it's an obedience issue. And followers of the way, which is what we are, we're followers of the way, need to actually follow the way. So if Jesus says the path looks like this, we need to walk down it, We need to tread on it. We need to own it. We need to say that path that you say is the path, that's my path. And we need to do that every day. So when you nail baptism, you're basically saying, Jesus, I'm going your way. I'm going to do the things that you've asked me to do and I will not veer off and create my own path because I feel more comfortable with my own path. And on my own path, I don't have to stand up the front and tell everyone my story and I don't have to go out there in the freezing cold and get soaking wet. On my own path, I do it my own way and create my own church and make my own choices. That is not a follower of the way, that is your way. And what God is asking of us is to go his way. And he wants us to live like this, full of the Holy Spirit, doing the things that he's asked us to do. So never forget that salvation is powerful. We should know that in our own lives, we should be able to tell our story succinctly, effectively, and all about Jesus. You should check your story and check it with other people. Say, read my story. So I have my story written out on my laptop. I have I've got the long version. So it actually says, my story, the long version. I clicked on it yesterday to have a little read. It's about five pages. It's epic. And and it details my life and what it looked like when I met Jesus. I also have the short version. So the short version is one page. And it's one that I could just get out easily that just gives a bit more of a summary. And then I have the very short version. It's, It's genius, isn't it? So I have the long version, the short version, the very short version. The very short version is the version that I can just get out on the playground and just go, actually, when I was 20, I met Jesus. I don't come from a church background, but I met with him. I heard about him. I chose to follow him. It's just real short. It's just a few lines that I can trot out. Most people are really drawn in on little key bits in your story. Most people in my story are drawn in that I was 20 because it's an unusual age to give your life to Jesus and then most people are drawn in that I didn't grow up in church 
which is also, it's a little bit unusual. So people go, what? So I've put two things in my story that just spark interest. And it does it every time. Most people go, what, when you were 20? And, and then I'll start having a further conversation. We should practice our stories and own our stories. We should get people's input into our stories. My input into stories always is often I think there could be a bit more of Jesus in people's stories. So I will often, if people email me their baptism stories or they come back to them and say, how about you chuck in a line there about what it was like for you when you met Jesus or what it was like for you when you read about Jesus or heard about Jesus. I always think it could do with a bit more of Jesus in it, most people's stories. So use your life groups, check each other out, tell each other your stories, remind yourself of the great big story so I, I think it's a great exercise in your life groups to share your stories with one another. Not all sitting around together, just one-on-one. Just one-on-one, switching partners and just saying, this is my story, this is what I've done in my life, this is what Jesus has done. It, it gives you great practice, but it also builds faith. It's so encouraging to hear the different ways that Jesus saves because he is powerful. If you are sitting here today and you don't know that you are saved, let us help you firm that up. Because God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. But you get stuff wrong all the time and it gets in the way of you being face to face with a God who loves you and has chosen you and knows you. He died, you see, on a cross in your place for all your sin so that he can open up that way for you. He died so that you can be right with God, so that you can come face to face with God. It is the best decision you will ever make, but it is a decision you have to make. So Jesus doesn't want robots. He wants followers, and followers choose to follow the way. They choose to put one foot in front of the other. They choose to alter their lives. They choose to turn away from doing it their own way, and they walk towards him. The gospel is beautiful and if you are unsure that you are saved or you are not saved, we could help you firm that up this morning. We could help you get that straight so that you don't spend the rest of your life weaving around going, am I, aren't I? So that you don't think, was that experience real or have I made it up or what was that about? So that you're not carving out a weird path instead of walking down his path. He loves you and has a plan for you. If I was you, I would get onto that path as quickly and as soon as you can. It is truly beautiful to be on God's path for your life. So never forget that salvation is powerful. If you get bored of hearing the gospel, something is wrong. So check yourself. If you sit there thinking, oh man, here we go again. It's Easter, it's Christmas, they're telling us the gospel. If that is what's going on in your heart, smack yourself and then get yourself before God and say, remind me. It is the most mind-blowing thing that God himself would touch down on earth in order to save a people. It's utterly mind-blowing. It should blow you away. It should shape your worship. It should change everything about you daily. If it's not doing that, something's amiss. If you're more bothered about what church is or isn't doing or what my family is or isn't doing, if, if your concerns are more worldly and earthly, something's wrong. Our concern, our priority, our, our, our everything is him. It's who he is. It's what he has done in our lives. I feel like if Jesus never did anything else for me ever, 
he would have already done enough. He'd have already done enough to warrant my worship and my devotion for my entire life. Job done. He owes me nothing and yet has given me everything. I will always be that sinful woman who had accusations being thrown at her and he silenced them and he stood me up again. I will always be that person. I will always be a sinner who was saved by the most amazing grace and I've had my life utterly transformed because of that. And I will never forget that. I'll never forget that I'm the reason, he's the reason that I stand, that I sing, that I have anything. And if he chooses to take it all away, it is his anyway. The only thing that, that I have, truly have, is him. And the only thing that he has is me. I am my beloved's and he is mine. That, that's, that's it. And, and sometimes our worship is affected when we don't feel like that, think like that our lives are. Our ministry is everything, is altered when we don't think like he's, he's my everything. Like that's it, he's enough for me. And it isn't just a line we sing in a song. It is something that shapes our very being. It has altered my whole life. Like I've walked with him for 24, 25 years now. It has shaped everything. Shaped the man I married, the way I raise my kids, the way I speak, the way I act. The, it shapes everything. Shapes the books I read, what I choose to fill my life with. He's everything. And sometimes... Our worship, our experiences are affected because we're just not in that place. And I feel like this morning God wants to bring many of you to that place where he's enough. Where if it was just you and him, you'd be all done. You'd be okay. So never forget that salvation is powerful. Never forget baptism in water is necessary. It's absolutely necessary for you to nail obedience You must be baptised in water. If you are not baptised in water as a believer, you must sort that out. And you must sort that out, not because we want to get you up here and make sure you've told your story and get you out there and make sure we've ticked another box for you. You must sort it out because a load of other stuff stands behind it. A load of other stuff stands in waiting for you to be obedient, for you to say yes to the call of Christ on your life. Because there's a stack of things he's got stored waiting for you to obey. And I don't know if you're like that in your life with your kids sometimes. Uh, There are loads of things that I'm waiting on with our boys so that I can be sure that when we say things, they're going to listen and do as they're told. And I've got a stack of other stuff waiting here for the moment that I think, yeah, they've got it. So, you know, a mobile phone waits over there because at the moment I can't get you to put your pants on in the morning to get ready for school. So the mobile phone is way back over here because if I can't trust you to go upstairs and put a red pair of pants on that are sitting at the top of the stairs, almost held out for you that you just got to put your legs in, I I can't trust you to own something that is going to give you access to the internet. So we're like it all the time. We're saying, yep, yep, if you're faithful with this, i got way more for you. And um, we've got, for our kids, we've got way more. We've got cars waiting how terrifying is that? Man, Levi Crane in a car. Okay, we got cars waiting. We got mobile phones. We got door keys. 
We've got nights out. We've got holidays with mates. We've got all this stuff waiting. You have to learn to put your pants on first. Because I can't have you going out in your car with no pants on. You know? We've got to nail this because I've got all this over here. And God is ultimately a parent. He is ultimately a daddy. We've got to nail this because I've got all this over here. And some of you are not giving up this, and so you're not accessing that. You're not being obedient and faithful in the small stuff, so you are not accessing the cars, the phones, the keys, the nights out. And you're watching everybody else access it and going, why have they got all the stuff? Perhaps they're putting their pants on. And that is how it works in parenting and it's how it works with God. It's not a reward system in that if you behave yourself and you're a really good boy, you get stuff. It is if you are obedient, if you listen to me, if you know my heart, if you put down the things that you're holding so tight in your hand and take my things, I have all this other stuff waiting for you. And then lastly, baptism in the spirit is absolutely essential. To be filled and soaked in the Holy Spirit is essential. It's not for the rock star Christians. It's, it's for everybody. Everybody should live totally soaked in the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be a believer. It, it just works like that. You have to know Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to be open to it. Sometimes even when people stand up to receive the Holy Spirit, they open out their hands. You have to be open to it. You have to know that God wants it as a gift for you. He wants to soak you. He wants to come and fill you. You have to deal with disappointment that sometimes things haven't happened the way in which you want them to. But you have to want it. You have to be hungry for it. What what Joyce brought in her dream about just seeing this table laid out and just eating it. You have to want it. You have to come hungry. You have to be thirsty. Everyone's experiences look different. Let me just read out a few for you. This I asked the life group leaders and overseers to tell me what it was like for them when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is just a list of loads of different people. So it felt like standing in a ray of light. It felt like a warm golden light being hugged and a feeling of boundless love and peace. Someone else put it was so overwhelming and and unearthly, a feeling of complete joy running through my body, infectious joy bubbling from within me that I couldn't stop it bursting out, a deep sense of peace and warmth in my soul, like a cold heat flooding my body and an overwhelming sense of peace, a quiet when all around me it was loud and noisy, Uh, weeping, quite a few people said we just wept, a deep sense of peace and joy and I began speaking in tongues and prophesying. A few people said there was an increased desire to worship, read the Bible and tell people about Jesus. Utter clarity, everything became clear and concrete. I felt fully submitted and there was joy and peace. A deep sense of joy and excitement. I spoke in tongues and increased desire to read God's word. Complete peace and being known by God. An intense heat that rushed through my body, tears streaming down my face and a knowledge of being known. 
an overwhelming stillness, and then the gift of tongues. You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit is different for everybody, but everyone knows it's happened. If you are unclear or unsure, it is likely that either you don't realize that your experience was the Holy Spirit, so you think it has to be more dramatic than just feeling really at peace, just feeling this sense of peace flooding through me, or you are not baptised in the Holy Spirit. I would say this morning there'll be a good chunk of people here who are not baptised or one-off soaking in the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to clear that up for this group of disciples. We want to clear that up. We want to make sure we've got a group of people, a family, that are saved and know they're saved, that are obedient and baptised in water and that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are continually being filled. So that when we say it's time to worship or it's time to come, we've got people who are soaked in the Holy Spirit coming forward and wanting more. I don't know about you, but I spill a lot at home. I I don't know why I'm so clumsy, but I am clumsy. I'm noisy and clumsy. I don't feel sorry for my husband. I am noisy and clumsy. And so I spill a lot. I spill drinks. I'm always saying to boys, don't spill that. And then I am the one spilling things. We've been at play dates where I said to the boys, watch your drinks. And then I knock over someone's drink. So I am constantly spilling stuff, which means I'm constantly filling up stuff. That is what we're like as believers. We are constantly spilling what God has done in our life and we are in constant need of being filled up again. If you're dry, if you're thirsty, if you're lukewarm, if you're thinking, I used to feel like this about Jesus, now I feel like nothing, then you probably need a good soaking in the Holy Spirit. If you're finding your Bible dry, if you're feeling that your encounters with him are kind of diminishing to almost nothing, you probably need a good soaking in the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling, praying out loud, praying in tongues, hearing God, you probably need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you to stand I want you to remember and never forget. Yeah, you can come and join me, worship team. Not that I'm going to sing, I just mean, come up here. You need to never forget that salvation is powerful. If you are saved, if you grew up in church and you've known him since you were five years old, brilliant. You didn't need to waste any time. Brilliant. Your salvation is powerful. If you met him in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, salvation is so powerful powerful. Never forget that. Get your story straight. Get your head straight. Work it out. If you are not baptised in water, it is necessary because God wants to nail obedience in your life because he has all this other stuff waiting, ready for those who obey. And if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit or in desperate need of the Holy Spirit, he's here today. He wants to come and fill you. So we're going to worship a bit, or probably a song or two, and then we're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come. He's already here in the front bit of worship. I just felt this overwhelming sense of God just wanting to walk around the room and meet with people. You need to fear him, but you do need to be in awe of him. Jesus. Jesus.